0: And if you are just joining our online meeting at this point, uh, a warm welcome to you, whether you are listening in uh, the UK, the USA, uh, South Africa, the Far East, the Middle East, and uh, I've spotted some other uh, countries around the world where we have listeners, and a a very warm welcome to you. And I I will just uh, say again that it would be nice if if any of you were able to find the time if you could uh, communicate with us drop us drop us a line tell us where you're from uh, where you worship and we can yeah make make those uh, connections amongst the the church of god around the world it's 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 a blessing it's a blessing to hear from other believers in different parts of the world so if you're listening to us on sermon audio youtube uh, Facebook, uh, the Church One phone app, uh, or Spotify, then a warm welcome. We have um, we have had a Bible reading from Genesis this morning. We've had a, we've just had a, a nice hymn, and um, we're going on to the Bible reading from Mark, uh, on which the sermon is based. So, Mark chapter twelve, verse thirty-five to forty-four, goes as follows. <clears throat> and Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord, Jehovah, said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord, Lord. And whence is he then his son, or how is he his son? And the common people heard him gladly, and he said unto them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes, which love to go in long clothing, and love salutations in the marketplaces, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and the uppermost rooms or places, at feasts, which devour with those houses, and for a pretence make. Long prayers. These shall receive greater damnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. And behold. And beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast it much. And there came a certain poor widow. And she threw in two mites. Which make a farthing. Old money. And he called uh, unto him his disciples. And saith unto them. Verily. I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Amen. So, the title of my message is True Religion. What constitutes true religion Religion's is a word i usually avoid but it, it, it is in the bible but i don't like it it's uh, it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of you know um sort of the the stereotypical you know self-righteous churchgoer who does all the right things ticks all the boxes but the heart is miles away from god well okay so last week we uh we witnessed the last of three approaches made to Jesus. Uh, these religious folks were trying to catch him out, and so the last time you will remember, it was the turn of, a, of a, one of these scribes. But you'll also remember that it, it ended uh, slightly um, surprisingly. There, there was um, it ended on a hopeful note with, with Jesus informing this this scribe that he wasn't far from the kingdom he was at the very door of the kingdom of God so today Jesus uh, turns his attention uh, away from the religious leaders and and in Mark's gospel this is a critical point in the Saviour's Jerusalem story Jesus has now finished his interactions with these groups he continues to teach uh, the people uh, and his disciples of course but he knows that in just a few days he'll be dead you probably you probably spotted um, you probably spotted three distinct parts in our reading today and there is, there's enough of interest in each uh, section to put together several sermons and I I know some preachers some preachers would you know, they would they would zoom in on just a couple of words and then preach on that and then move on to the the next week to a couple more words and then the next week maybe they'll move on to the next verse. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's where they're led. But the the, the, the disadvantage with with that approach um, is uh, there's no momentum. You, You lose track of the whole, the bigger picture. And I know some preachers love to you know, they seem to think that the longer they spend (laughs) uh, preaching from a book, the better a job they've done, which is not necessarily true. Now, I thought we we would uh, treat these uh, three sections as uh, as one uh, in the same message, because I see the a connection with them, believe it or not now you might you might uh, miss that, but Jesus is starting with a theological uh theological matter. he then launches into this criticism of the religious leaders and he ends with a lesson about giving so yes they they may appear to be unrelated, but there's a thread. There's a thread of teaching running through all these And this is what I'm hoping to bring out today So to, just to outline where I'm going with this Think of what Jesus says in the whole passage like this He begins with a doctrinal matter He knows that the teachers can't grasp He then exposes the sinful behaviour of the teachers And then he finishes with a positive example for those uh, teachers uh, and others an example of sacrificial commitment to God and so all of this provides us with contrasts between false religion that the one that these teachers were part of and the true religion of, of the person who has the Holy Spirit so I have these points the first of them is this Discernment, rather than darkness. That's understanding, rather than darkness. The Bible is, is of course, central to the Christian faith, and it's it's just a, it's an extension. It's an extension of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a so it's um, it's become it's a brand new book, but contains something quite ancient, and and we of course believe that it, it's the word of God that that he uses when he is saving someone he chooses to have those words communicated to that person in order to draw them in so uh, last week we spoke about how the Christian is, is saved through the word of God and then goes on to live by the word of God and we are more or less helped by the Holy Spirit to 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 give us more understanding and he does what Jesus did with the disciples Uh, it says then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, it's important you see and this role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not some new phenomenon introduced in the Gospel age, introduced at Pentecost you can see from verse 36 Jesus is telling us King David possessed the Holy Spirit. So, although every living creature, even those little, even those little uh, goldfinches outside, every living creature is alive because of the power of the Holy Spirit, He animates them. But the believer is said to have the Spirit in a very unique way that. Um, that the creatures and other people don't have. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here about this difference. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ Now, the Scriptures, of course, they contain uh, a lot of stuff, but obviously the the most important knowledge to get from the Bible is that which talks about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what Jesus is encouraging them to, to consider now. The point Jesus is making in verses uh, thirty-five to thirty-seven, it may not be clear at first. He presents to them a conundrum, and if you look at verse thirty-six, particularly that quotation from David, you'll you'll see the you'll see the word Lord used twice. So. Now I'm I'm reading here from the King James version, so it may be different if you have a different version of the Bible, but most of you will be familiar with this. When you see the word Lord spelled in all capital letters, it refers to it refers to God, and so God had a name, you know, if you like Jehovah or Yahweh, and when those translators came across this name of god they had to make a decision and for some reason that they, they didn't always um they didn't always um translate it into you know some english word like jehovah or yahweh uh, they, they 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 more often than not they they used this capitalized word lord lord so in the quote from David, there's two references. And so in our version, it sounds it sounds a bit unusual. It's, the Lord said to my Lord, but if you spot that one's capitalized and one isn't, you will you will start to find your way. And so the second Lord refers to the Messiah. So what David's saying there is You know, it's quoted as the Lord Jehovah said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Uh, To paraphrase that, God in heaven is saying to his Christ, sit alongside me and rule with me while I subdue your enemies. this Messiah David spoke about was to be one of his descendants and sure enough Jesus came into this world through the family line of David and he, 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 Jesus readily accepted this uh, title, Son of David but here here David refers to this descendant as Lord his Lord in the Jewish culture along with probably most others ancestors were held in higher esteem than their descendants now the the Messiah the Jews expected would be fully human he'd be a descendant of David and he would arise as a powerful uh, military figure and the deliverance he would bring would, would be a military one but hang on David calls this descendant his Lord believing this Messiah to be superior to him and now we come to the answer to the riddle for David's descendant to be superior to him he'd have to be more than a mere man and Jesus wasn't only teaching that The real Messiah would be superior to David He was showing them That the rule this Messiah would introduce Would be of a different kind Than David's He'd come to bring about A spiritual conquest Not a military one And it would be worldwide I suggest when you get a chance Have a read Of this Psalm 110 Jesus quoted from Because you'll see that Christ uh, Also described as a priest And Jesus was to become a priest It says after the order of Melchizedek Or of the type of Melchizedek But hang on a minute Melchizedek wasn't even an Israelite Melchizedek was a Canaanite You'll maybe see now how Jesus is disrupting their view of what the Messiah would be like. Now, they'd read this psalm. They'd read this, especially the teachers, they'd read this psalm hundreds of times. But Jesus is highlighting it, encouraging the people to think. Think on it a bit more. Firstly, he wanted them to to see that Christ the christ would be both priest and king this was a, a dual role and it was denied to all the kings in israel's history he came he came not only to establish uh, an eternal throne but he was making himself an eternal high priest forever doing away with the jewish priesthood so that was the first thing he wanted them to see Christ was going to have this dual role of priest and king but also since his eternal priesthood is said to have a Gentile Melchizedek at at, at its foundation this hinted at Jesus becoming a great high priest not just for Jews but for all the nations of the world the blindness of these uh, teachers especially since their messiah was right in front of them was just one more element of the the guilt they had before a holy god in all these temple controversies who were most obviously the enemies of god it wasn't the common people At the end of verse 37 says they were glad the the people were glad to hear Jesus' teaching It's, it's always been a source of amazement to Bible students that those who face the greatest wrath from God will be those some of those considered by most to be the greatest servants of God you're going to get high priests punished more than heathens We'll see pastors, some pastors being punished more than outright pagans. And of course, even now, there are pulpits in every corner of the world occupied by wolves in sheep's clothing. They may, they may hold on to congregations, sometimes even very large ones, but the real sheep are scattered. Says he in uh, First Corinthians, this is our, this is this is what we need, this discernment. He, he encourages them, brethren, be not children in understanding, be not childlike in understanding. Howbeit, in malice be children, in malice be like children, but in understanding, be men, be grown up, be mature take it seriously we who are believers are to pray constantly that the holy spirit would illuminate our minds and give us an understanding of the scriptures that's what we want here's the next point we are to seek after a humble spirit humility rather than haughtiness or pride so we're meant to be we're meant to be humble we're not meant to be proud after this riddle of the Messiah Jesus verse 38 Jesus um, he begins to criticize the religious leaders and all this M- might come as a little bit of surprise to you, especially considering the conversation Jesus has just had with the scribe, the one that ended on this positive note. god did have his elect among even the religious elite he had those he was going to save no matter what and in the gospels there are obviously several examples of some who are more sympathetic to uh, the gospel than the rest of them but the wicked ones were clearly in the majority so much so jesus felt he was able to warn the people about the religious teachers as a whole. So what were what were his criticisms? Well they were showing off in the way they dressed and you can see that in verse 38. They were showing off. It wasn't that they were showing off like a sort of a load of people going to a sort of nightclub or something and you know, a fashion competition. It wasn't so much that. Their garments were meant to um, make a religious statement, and they most certainly wanted to make a statement. They wanted people to know how important they were. They were also coveting the adulation of the people, and you'll see that at the end of verse 38, they loved the salutations, the greetings in the marketplaces. It was customary for people to to show respect to these teachers when they passed them on the street. Now, they should have received these tokens of respect with deep humility, not pride. What else did Jesus criticise? Well, they were highlighting, these teachers were highlighting their social status. In the synagogues, they'd seat themselves right at the front where everyone could see them. And at banquets it would always be at the top table. They wanted everyone to know they were VIPs. They were also trying to look spiritual. They were trying to look spiritual. Verse 40 talks about these long but fake prayers. They thought that the longer and more sophisticated their prayers were, the more they'd be esteemed by the people. And this faulty motive rules out the possibility that God would listen to them. Says here in Matthew's uh, 6th chapter, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward." They wanted the respect of men and they got what they wanted, but they didn't get any respect from God. I hope there's no one in the churches like this. I hope there's I hope when we, we hear people praying that they're, they're not they're not praying with a with a mind to the people to impress them, to show them how they can put together a a, a nicely structured prayer with a few scriptures thrown in. I hope that's not what what happens, but if you've ever been in a prayer meeting when someone is praying for twenty or twenty-five minutes, you you have to wonder. Well, of these criticisms we've we, we've looked at, you know, to to do with the the, the 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 dress and taking the fancy seats and the the long prayers. We must remember Jesus wasn't saying these habits were, were necessarily sinful in themselves. The problem was with the pride in their hearts. An example is uh, modern evangelicalism. We we tend to shun the religious garb of you know of our um, spiritual uh, forebears. For the most part anyway i mean there are some presbyterians some evangelical anglicans uh, who wear like black smocks or dog collars but um you know we we shouldn't forget that the you know most of the um the reformers the well-known figures in the great awakening uh wore some kind of religious uniform and i'm sure god wouldn't mind me uh, wearing some special clothing when preaching as long as my motive for doing so was good if if I was to clothe myself outwardly with some religious dress I'd have to make doubly sure I was clothed inwardly with a meek spirit it's not wrong of course for people to show respect to others when I was uh, teaching my pupils would call me say some of you Some of you New Road folks will occasionally address me as pastor. Um, During my time, employed in a homeless hostel, residents would sometimes call me boss. Now, I'm not saying these were always used sincerely, but they're still generally accepted as expressions of uh, respect to to a person or or more likely to the the office that that they hold Likewise, I'm to show respect to others. And I've been in courtrooms on many occasions. Sometimes I was a member of the jury, other times I was the accused. But I was always happy to address the judge as your honour. I believe it's good that people in society show each other respect. But when, when God looks down... He expects you to receive respect in all humility. You're not to desire adulation. The pastors, along with the teachers and judges, should be glad these marks of respect exist. But at the same time, they must consider themselves servants of everyone who shows them respect. When we think back to the conversation Jesus had with the scribe, it's apparent to us these elitists can't be taking those commandments seriously. It's impossible for them to claim they're obeying the instruction to love others as much as themselves when they're using others to boost their own egos. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the believers. He says likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder yea all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Mm. We should choose humility. Remember uh, as we foster a humble attitude um, in our dealings with others it's in our relationship to to God we should be most humble we recall how great he is and how lowly we are and our motto is to be like that of John the Baptist who said of Jesus he must increase but I must decrease Okay. our next point is about having compassion rather than being cruel so following an example, uh, again, of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're to aim for compassion in our dealings with people. And compassion is, by definition, it's kindness towards those who have a problem. Uh, if I make someone a cup of tea or coffee, I'm not really necessarily showing compassion to them, even though it's a kind act. Compassion implies that person has a, a a real problem it could be disease it could be that in pain it could be some mental health issue it could be not so not so often today hunger uh more often today than, than in past times maybe uh, debt money problems all kinds of anxieties well the first mention of uh, widows in our passage today is in verse 40. In the list of jesus uh, criticisms of the teachers we looked at earlier i left one out deliberately about devouring widows houses i wanted to speak about that separately and it is what it sounds like in their business dealing scribes and others would repossess houses even of poor widows the fact jesus mentioned this should be enough evidence this wasn't um about just some a few you know uh, isolated incidents what would happen is men would take out mortgages to provide a home for their family Uh, and as you know statistically women uh, always live longer than men if the male breadwinner were to die uh, leaving the widow she would frequently have trouble keeping up with the mortgage payments and the home would be repossessed and this practice was endemic it had become part of their culture and it was it was the richer religious leaders who both carried out and justified the practice it wasn't only them but they were involved how far removed this was from love thy neighbor The, the scribes weren't paid uh, for their teaching as such. They 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 got money, but it was um, they, they relied on gifts from people, and inevitably, their greed would cause them to do their business immorally. But listen, what James uh, advises us: pure religion, true religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. We could think of that as charity towards others and obedience to God. It's one of the in the UK we're, we're, a, we're a capitalist society one of the disadvantages is we, we have to see people people who suffer through genuine financial hardship have their homes taken off them by unbelievably wealthy businesses um, that's bad enough but but I I got thinking about I got thinking about a, another practice that we see today today which has nothing to do with uh, greedy bankers and it's this situation where, where people will create friendships with perhaps lonely elderly people in the hope they'll inherit something from them and without a doubt some of the religious leaders back then will have done likewise befriending widows in order to inherit their houses it's obvious we have to have compassion on others a few few chapters back in Mark's gospel we came across uh, this what Jesus said in Mark 8 I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat compassion kindness care sympathy and these are even to be shown to those who hate us and as I said last time we're to de- we're to we're to develop this attitude even more with people within the kingdom of God so we're to take the, the the high standards expected of us in our charity towards others and then take it up a notch in our dealings with the brethren now I know it can be tough <laughs> within our churches there there are people who who can be aggravating critical self-righteous and even plain old nasty sometimes but it's not just me it's 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 a lot of other people too you see you see what I mean Obviously, if if I come across someone with a serious serious defect in their walk, then it may become a pastoral issue which needs addressing. But that doesn't do away with your responsibility to be kind to those types of people. Let's continue to use Jesus as our example. So putting aside all the great uh, compassion he showed in healing diseases and feeding people, His greatest act of compassion was directed towards his own people the ones he went to calvary to save and he knew very well all the benefits of calvary would go on to be implanted in the hearts of people who hated god i'm talking about us sinners Well, we're, we're saved sinners, aren't we? We who are believers, saved sinners, and, and the Bible calls those who are not saved just plain old sinners. But we started off in the same place, and you remember—remember, remember Jesus saved one of the thieves he was that he was crucified with—and we need look no further for a clear example of uh, the compassion and grace of God. Jesus hung there, the, in some ways, the, the the worst moments of his eternal existence, and the guy being put to death next to him poured insults uh, and scorn on the head of Jesus Christ. Ten minutes later he delivered deliver that man the kindest words that can ever be said to someone the, he was given the gift of faith this man and the man repented and he made a confession of faith and he pleaded with Jesus for, for mercy and all that verbal abuse he poured on Jesus was forgotten his sins were forgiven and Jesus promised him eternal life here's my last point we need to be generous not greedy generosity not greed so what happens next in our in our passage is Jesus walks a short distance in the temple over to the the um, like the court of the women as it was called and he went to have a sit down he deserved it and he positioned himself to have a clear view of the treasury. So it's where people took their, their, their offerings, you know, that was instead of a collection plate going round or a, a, this was the equivalent of like the box at the back of the church for collections. And there were these large vessels and people would come past and put their, their money in. And, and he just sat and he watched for a, a while. And the first thing he noticed is recorded for us in verse um, 41. There were plenty of rich people about, and they came to give money to the work of God. That's a good thing, isn't it? And they were rich, so they were able to make large donations. Then, he sees this poor widow arrive. Now, there's no evidence in the scriptures they knew each other as friends but Jesus clearly knew about her all the money she owned in this world was clutched in the palm of her hand and it was her last pound and she threw it into the collection box Jesus then calls over his disciples for a a bit of a quicker lesson and he describes what he'd seen then announces that the old lady gave more than the rich people the explanation is in verse 44 the rich gave away a small portion of their wealth while the poor widow gave everything no one is arguing that the rich people didn't give more in monetary terms they no doubt gave thousands of times more than she did and it's good they gave this money whether it's the old temples or the modern day churches that we make use of most of the work carried out by the Lord's people today as then requires money now this not this well this doesn't apply to me it it may not apply to you I don't know your situation but God gives some of his people lots of money Some Christians are very wealthy. Through legitimate work, God transfers wealth from the people of this world into the hands of a few Christians. And he does this so they can provide the bulk of the money that the church needs. There are no hard and fast rules that we can refer wealthy Christians to. So, so, you know, they'll know how much they're supposed to give to the work of god they can keep most of it they can donate most of it or anything in between it's between them and god but if you are in that privileged position you should remember the reason god gave you your wealth was not to give you a standard of living far above that of your believers he directed that money to you so you could give lots of it away The issue Jesus raised here is therefore it's being played out in the modern church too. Believers with plenty of money will usually make larger offerings than others do. But more often than not, they remain wealthy after they've given. There's no big sacrifice. Now look, I'm not saying that I've just said it's between them and God. I'm not saying it's wrong for them to to give a little bit um they might give i don't know they might give like 500 pounds uh, you know every week but they still remain completely comfortable and well off and that's i'm not saying that's wrong but jesus here encourages us to think not about whether we're giving more than other people around us but how much of a sacrifice it is to give what we do how much of a sacrifice there's a sober warning here, given uh, from God through the prophet, uh, through the prophet uh, Malachi. Will a man rob God? Yet yeah, ye have robbed me, God's saying. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Malachi chapter 3. <laughs> God... God's saying that people who are stingy with their offerings are robbing him. Makes it clear, doesn't it, that when, when, when people give offerings to the work of the local church, they are giving it to God. It's administered by other people, other people appointed by God, but still, he's still giving it to God. If you're fairly old like me you'll remember the 1980s uh, the golden age of music by the way the 1980s but you might recall a collection of um, rock and pop icons they got together to form this temporary uh, amalgamation called uh, band aid and they, they they got together they collaborated to make this song and they made a single and all the proceeds from the sales of the, the single was to go to charities and the well the, the, the charities were fighting poverty in Africa where was it now was it it wasn't um I was gonna say Ethiopia but I don't think it was maybe a different country. It was somewhere in Africa. Now I've always been very cynical about all, all this all, all these projects. You've got this gathering of ultra rich people trying to get relatively poor people like me to buy the single to give money to charity but those artists they <laughs> those artists they made real sacrifices they they gave a day of their time to record the single <laughs> one of the founders of that project was sir bob geldoff now obviously he's richer now than he was in the 80s, but just to give you an idea of the the scale of all this, Geldof today has a net worth of around $150 million. I don't know, that's about 120 million pounds. And he's by no means the the he's by no means the, the, the most well-off. Now going back to the 80s i have no idea what the collective net worth of that uh, group of singers was but it would have run into billions so here's these people who donated a day of their time wasn't like they were taking a day off work and losing money but they gave us a day god bless them and so they showcased themselves as heroes fighting poverty and the truth is they could have all just stayed at home and wrote checks out to the charity and instantly saved millions of lives but they thought no we'll do it this way. Now some of those stars do give money to charity so you, you see them today Um people will say um, I know he's mega rich but he gives an awful lot of money to charity. You know, he gave £50,000 to a hospital wing for the little children. Well, first of all, they make sure you know about it. Uh, Even the ones who say they do it anonymously, (laughs) it somehow manages to find its way uh, around the world. Um, It's a drop in the ocean to them. It's not sacrificial. It just doesn't affect them. It's It's like the interest they get in the bank in, like, two and a half days you know £50,000 if they cared as much as they pretended to they'd give more sacrificially we might see them downsizing their house and making do with just one car you know I'm not saying they have to do that but you can't you can't go on television and portray yourself as as some uh, you know hero of the poor uh, and then go back to your mansion it's just silly the woman in this story was different the woman in our story gave sacrificially now as I said a minute ago in today's money her offering would have been about a pound or you know a couple of dollars now here's the thing if everyone's if everyone in the church of God um, came up with their pound the churches wouldn't survive in their present form you know we we need those people, we need the people who give more but here's the lesson we need to take from all this that we, we must never be impressed by large offerings and we must never despise small ones like those superstars the rich people in the temple went home still rich the poor woman went home broke and don't you think it's amazing that this woman belonged to that class of people who we read in verse 40 was downtrodden yet she's used as a model of sacrificial love for God a tiny offering would have meant nothing to the temple treasurers but her act of generosity and love was without her knowledge to be recorded in the pages of god's word for the benefit of millions of god's people throughout history let me make one more remark about this widow's offerings uh, students of the bible have questioned whether or not this woman was being irresponsible and given uh, the last of her money the truth is we don't know his situation whether or not whether or not she would already paid the bills and had food in the cupboard, we don't know. And that's not the issue here. Even if you did go too far, her motive was love for God and that's the point. Brethren, it's none of my business how much you give for the work of the gospel. If you feel you can only give 1% of your income to the church, give 1%. If you can afford to give ninety percent of your income to the church, and you, you you want to do that, then so be it. It would only become a pastoral matter for me if someone could afford to give something but chose to give nothing. I'm, go- I'm going to draw this to a close shortly, but I need I need to make one final and important point. It's it's obvious that as believers, we're not only to give our money to the Lord's work; we're to give of ourselves our time our abilities our bodily strength our whole selves as we emphasised last week says he in the 12th chapter of Romans the beginning very well known scripture I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies yourselves a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service The word, uh, the word "holy," there uh, indicates you should understand you've been set apart from the mass of mankind to be used in God's service. Your duty is to see to it that your life reflects that reality. Make it your make make this your daily motto. How am I going to serve God today? focus brethren fight through the spiritual sluggishness and make every day count make sure every day you do something for the lord do you want some encouragement here's some encouragement from malachi bring ye all the tides into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith saith the lord of hosts if i will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall be not room enough to receive it wow blessings our Lord Jesus Christ once again claims the title of the most generous person who's ever lived he gave himself in a way no one else could match for us We who are his believers, his followers. He lived, he taught, he suffered and he died. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, yet for our sakes, he became poor. That you through his poverty might be rich. He left the luxury of heaven to come to this disaster zone of planet Earth. And he owned nothing except maybe the clothes on his back. Speaking spiritually, he gave his all and thereby is classed as poverty stricken. And he did that so that we, being poor in spirit would receive the riches of his grace (laughs) hallelujah what a savior now may the lord bless thee and keep thee the lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee the lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace amen thank you brothers and sisters for joining us today and uh, we, uh, it's, it's my hope that you will have been blessed by God's word And if you are listening If you've tuned in And you are still not belonging to Christ Then go to him today Don't let the sun go down Go to him Go to God today And tell him you believe the gospel Tell him you want to be saved A simple prayer Is what stands between you And forgiveness of sins and eternal life uh, If you want to know more You can always get in touch with me Through any of the channels And I mentioned earlier, God bless you. Bye.